Hey, this morning we're kicking off a brand new series called The Tale of Three Kings. And anybody knows it's been married long enough that the queen actually rules the roost. So we invited the queen to drop some heat on us today. There we go. We love Amy around here. I, I can't even call you a guest speaker anymore because you've been here so much. And we're so grateful for you. And uh, man, give it up for Amy Elliott this morning. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody? Good. It's great to be here this morning. The first time I really remember feeling it was fourth grade. I was a great student, top of my class, until this girl came to Mrs. Otterman's fourth grade class. Erin was her name. And as my son would call her, she was a tryhard. So like, if there was an essay, she would double the lane. You know those uh, state reports you had to do in fourth grade? If you grew up in California, you had to do a state report in fourth grade. Mine was Wisconsin. Ask me about cheese, I know a lot. And uh, so you do that, but she like had her whole presentation and samples, right? And so that was Erin, even her name. It wasn't E-R-I-N, it was A-A-R-O-N, like a boy's name. Even her name was special. And it drove me nuts, right? Just so with all of my fourth grade maturity, what did I do? We excluded her. We didn't let her be part of the girls group. We kind of made fun of her, left her out a little bit, because that's what all, the only thing I knew how to deal with that feeling. So fast forward, high school, and I was, this time with my best friend, Kelly. And we both played basketball, and I can tell you this now, I could not have told you this then, she was better than me. And we were playing one-on-one, -on -one, and Kelly would get the ball, and she'd score, and I'd get the ball, and Kelly would get the ball, and this kept happening. And so, with all of my now 10th grade maturity, what did I do? Well, I blamed her. I told her she was cheating and I got really mad. Because that was all I knew how to do with that feeling. Fast forward again, I was in my 20s. And it was, you, you gotta know, so this was like 25 years ago. And during that time, there was this whole movement in the evangelical community of courtship versus dating and like whether you should date or not. And really all it did was confuse men terribly so they had no idea what to do. And uh, so I was, hanging out with this guy, Jason. And I really liked Jason. And my friends would tell you he had all of the emotional benefits of a girlfriend without any of the commitment. So we'd talk on the phone, we'd go out, we'd do things. And finally one night, he took me to a really fancy restaurant. And he said, I've made a decision. I was like, it's happening, <laughs> right? And I'm like, yeah. I've decided to ask Elizabeth out. Words that should not come out of a good Christian girl's mouth came out of my mouth loudly, and I stormed out of that restaurant. He totally deserved it, by the way. So, but we were in the same group, so I saw him all the time. And like we would be in church together, and I'd look down the pew, and he'd be praying, and I'm like, oh, no, no. God doesn't even like you. Like, don't even try. God is totally on my side here. He's mad at you. I get him. And he dated Elizabeth, and they were so happy. Yay. And um, I had that feeling again. And now, so much more mature, right? So what do I do with it? I let it kind of grow into some resentment. And I start making judgments about his character. 
and who he is. That feeling, what is it? Jealousy, someone just said it. And if you're like me, you have a song in your head right now. So that, that feeling, has anyone before, let's, let's get a test of the room here, anyone not been jealous before? Okay, good. So we're all on the same, everyone is starting in the same place. We're all very familiar with what jealousy feels like, right? It happens to us. And so we wrote it this way. If we don't protect our hearts, someone else's success triggers that jealousy, triggers our insecurities. If I'm not very careful in my areas of vulnerability, it's going to come get me. That's where I'm most likely to feel jealous, right? So if you are feeling vulnerable in your marriage, you're not quite sure that your marriage is as good as someone else's, that's where the jealousy is going to hit you. Be forewarned about that. If you are uh, not sure that your kid measures up, that's where it's going to hit you. If you're trying, you're struggling with infertility, everyone around you is going to, it feels like everyone's pregnant all of a sudden. That's where it's going to hit you. That's where we are most vulnerable. And so we have to watch out for that. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We have to watch how things are hitting us. If I'm really looking at my coworker and I'm like, oh, I wish I had that, it starts to change us, starts to do things in us. And so today we're going to look at a story. It's from Samuel. We have been in Samuel. We've talked about David for a long time, but we are, as Danny said, starting a new sermon series, and these are about three kings, and this first guy that we're talking about is Saul. So you heard this story from David's perspective a bit ago, but this is now from Saul's perspective. So Saul is the first king of Israel, and he's tall, and he's handsome, and he's a great fighter, and he has the favor of God until he doesn't, until he's so sinful and unrepentant that God says, I'm going to anoint another king. And so he anoints, Samuel actually is the one who anoints David. You remember that story? Where he's like, no, no, not you, not you, not you, it's David. So David is already like three chapters before this anointed to be king, but he hasn't assumed the kingship yet. And so he's still working for Saul. He's a warrior for Saul. He also, Saul struggles with anxiety. And so when Saul spins out, David plays instruments to soothe him. He's also... Saul's son-in-law. So this is where we pick it up. So whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's Goliath, David just killed Goliath, so everybody knows about this, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs. So picture, it's like a Super Bowl parade, right? When the teams come back and the city all comes out and there's confetti and everyone's excited. It is that. The women are all out there singing with timbrels and lyres, and as they dance, they sang, Saul has slain 10,000, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly, they have credited David with tens of thousands? 
he thought. But me, with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? This kid's coming for my job. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Now, evil is rendered in the NIV like injurious or harmful. And so Saul was in this stubborn, unrepented, unrelenting state of sinfulness. He wasn't changing from it. He's kind of bent on self-annihilation. And so basically what's happening is God is saying, fine, do it. So David, or Saul rather, is spun into this mood. And it's not an ongoing mood. It's sort of a periodic, gloomy, depression thing. And he's in, he's in this space right now. So he's prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. So he's calming Saul with his music. And Saul had a spear in his hand. And he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Okay, we must stop because this is hilarious to me. Okay, you have a spear that you throw at me. It doesn't take me twice. <laughs> All right, I, I, you throw one, I'm done. So I think it's so funny that David eludes him twice. Right? Good for you, David. Way to get out of there. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms, loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Early on, Saul makes a critical error in judgment. He takes David's success too personally. What we mean by that is he assumes that David's success means something about him. Don't we do that too? We assume other people's successes mean something about us. I think that your success means that I am a failure. And that's what Saul is doing here. When our coworker gets promoted, we say, what's wrong with me? How come I didn't get promoted? Or when our neighbor's kid gets into a great college, where did I go wrong parenting? Why is my kid not going to that school? We assume that their success actually says something about us. My kids do this all the time. I will say to them, great job. I'll say to one of them, right, great job doing whatever. And the other one will immediately chirp up, I do that all the time. Why aren't you saying great job? And I'm like, okay, you do. But I'm not talking to you. Right? I'm talking to him or her. Just because this person is doing something great doesn't mean you're not great too. God is a God of and language. He's not either or. It's not that if you're good, you're bad. If you're a success, you're a failure. God doesn't work that way. God's the God of and. You are a success and so are you. You are talented and so are you. You are great and have much to offer and so do you. God is a God of and. So we can't watch what other people have and assume it means anything about us. See, Saul starts pretty good with David. David is so successful, Saul's like, 
put him up in the ranks. He's saying, this is good for the kingdom. I've got this great fighter. I'm going to let him go to the front of the pack. We're good to go. And then the women start singing. And as soon as those women start singing and comparing, that's when Saul's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> what? And he feels so threatened. And you can imagine, there's this young guy who clearly has the favor of God, who's super successful, who's coming after you. Is anyone resonating with that right now? And he starts to get jealous. Why are they saying he's better than me? Are they saying I'm not good enough? Am I falling short? And he just goes in this weird little spiral of comparison and jealousy. We wrote it this way. Comparison is the death of contentment. We didn't actually write it. Stephen Furtick wrote it. But comparison is the death of contentment. It's a great quote because it's so true. I am super happy with my house until I see yours. <laughs> my vacation was awesome until I saw your pictures. Right? And how I was content before changes. My very, very dear friend from college just visited us this week. And we love her tremendously. And she um, is now the vice president of health and wellness for the entire NFL. And so she is telling us stories. My son wants to know, like, who's nice in the NFL, who's not. Tell us all about the. So she's telling us about all the different players and the owners' meetings and private jets. I've never flown first class, just for the record. And so we're listening to all of this. And I start thinking, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> right? Like, what am I doing with my life? Whereas before her visit, if you'd asked me, I have a private practice. I enjoy what I do. I love what I do. I get to speak here. I have a great family that I love. All these wonderful things that I was super content with until I'm like, oh, wow, that's an exciting life. But when I'm really honest, when I rewind it, I've made some choices that I love. I love the choices I've made to be present, to be a mom, to be home, right? To not travel the world right now, maybe later. But these are choices I've made that make me content. And I have to really watch that I'm not comparing in such a way that it gets me out of that place of contentment. We have to refuse to play the comparison game. Saul's right there. I've only killed thousands, you've killed tens of thousands. Unfortunately, as Danny alluded to, we live in a day and age where social media exists. Facebook and Instagram. And so it's created a platform that is ripe for comparison. 24 hours a day, we can compare ourselves to anyone on anything. We just can't. That's the way it's set up. And so if you are someone who, when you're scrolling through, it changes how you feel about yourself or your location in life, I would wonder if maybe it's time to take a break. If maybe that's not something that's causing you to move into a space of jealousy that's not healthy for you. Just be curious, right? As Danny said, when we grew up, there was no internet. There was no social media. I didn't know to feel sad that I was left out because I didn't know I was left out. <laughs> I didn't know there was a party I wasn't invited to. No one told me. And if people had a fight at school, you went home, it was squashed, 
because no one talked, and then you came back to school the next day, and it's a new day. Now it's 24-7, always on. Something's always happening. The world is changing. And not only do our teenagers feel that, we all feel that too. Text, email, uh, we're constant access, constant opportunities to compare ourselves to other people. So like I said, it's just something you might consider. If it's something that doesn't put you in a good space, maybe you need a break from it. Notice when that comparison is getting you and you start to keep tabs on the other people. Maybe you do this on Facebook. Maybe you do it in real life. You can't stand that woman, and yet every time you see her, you're checking out what shoes she has, what clothes she has, what is she doing. That coworker, you're like, oh, they've been spending a lot of time with our boss lately. What are they talking about? What's he kissing butt about? What's that happening there, right? Or your kids, if they play competitive sports, that kid's in a different private lesson than your kid. You should probably get that kid, right? You could make yourself crazy and broke, by the way. But you have to watch for that spinning. Now, I said this to the last service. I'm going to be truly confessional, and if I offend anyone, I'm really sorry. This is a me problem, not, not the other person problem. I have Facebook, and I'll scroll through. And on my Facebook feed, there are people who are telling me how they are living their best life because of something they've bought, sold, lost, gained, traded, whatever, but how it's like the best thing ever and don't you wish you could be doing what they were doing because you suck and you're working and they're at home, right? And you're like, oh gosh. So these things kind of drive me nuts. And here's my confession, I judge. And I look and I'm like, oh gosh. But when I'm judging, I notice that I'm looking for them in my Facebook feed, right? When it says they've got the paragraph, because you know it has to come in like five paragraphs. Right? They've got the paragraph, and I'll press more, just so I can read the whole thing. This is a me issue. This is the work that needs to be done. Why am I doing that? Is it jealousy? Am I alone in judging and doing that? No need to raise hands. I know you're there. So. It's just starting to notice when maybe you are noticing others a little too much and it's spinning you out a little bit. How are we letting other people's successes affect us? Be really honest here. You don't have to tell anybody. Just tell yourself. When that person who you feel like you're in competition with, when that person is doing better, what does it feel like? I am all for competition. You know me, you know I'm a super competitive person. If you ask me to play a game, my first question will, to you will be, how do I win? That's what I want to know, how do I win? Right? Uh, those walks that they do, you know, raise money for AIDS, hunger, all those ones. I, I won the walk for hunger. Those other kids didn't even know we were racing. I just blew them away, right? That's my personality, and that's great in sports and games. Relationally, it's a train wreck. Competition has no place in relationships, and so we have to look out for it. We have to pay attention to how quickly that jealousy grows and becomes destructive. Jealousy starts right here, and then pretty soon, it's resentment, right? Where I got with Jason, resentment. And then, soon enough, it grows to bitterness, 
and hatred. And the sad part is it changes who I am, not who the other person is. And so I'm having all these feelings, and it's messing with my character. It's getting in there, and it's like growing roots. Till eventually I'm consumed by my own bitterness and resentment because I couldn't help compare myself and feel less than. And it becomes so destructive. Saul, for goodness sake, is throwing spears at his son-in-law. And you're thinking, I haven't thrown a spear at anyone this week. I'm good. <laughs> well, have you thrown a metaphorical spear? Have you thrown the spear of gossip? Have you thrown the spear of judgment? Have you thrown the spear of exclusion? What spears have you thrown, meaning to or not meaning to, because that little resentment burrowed its way in and got a hold of you more than you'd like to admit. So oftentimes, we talk about these big topics, and then we say, okay, so go work on it this week. We all say, yes, we will. And the week goes, and we come back next week, and we're like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to do that. Jealousy, I was supposed to knock that out this week. Right? So we're not going to do that this week. We're actually going to start right now. And so I'm just going to pray for us that we would bring that jealousy to God where he could take it away from us, relieve us. Let's do it right now. So if you're comfortable, close your, he close your heads. Close your minds. No, no. Instead, close your eyes, please, and bow your heads. So, Heavenly Father, we confess our sinfulness. We are under no illusion that we've got this life together. We've got it dialed in and figured out. We know we're messy, and we're so thankful that you love us just like that. And so, Lord, we bring our jealousy to you. I pray that you would bring to the minds of every single person in this room the image of someone that they're struggling with, of a situation where jealousy or resentment is starting to creep in, Lord, help them just hold that right now. And we confess, God, that we know this is not of you, that you don't want this for us, that you have so much better planned for us. And so, Lord, as we confess, we trust in your forgiveness. We know that we will feel the feelings of jealousy again because that is our sinful nature. And yet we know that you can help us respond differently each and every time. So, Lord, change us, move us. Make us different, we pray. Precious name. Amen. So then what is the antidote to jealousy? What is it? Last night I had a teenager who was great. He said, be better than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. It's a good idea. <laughs> Tell me how that worked out for you. <laughs> what is the antidote? Who knows? Any guess is a good guess. Love? Gratitude. That's right. Gratitude. We wrote it this way. Have an attitude of gratitude and a temperament of contentment. It took a long time for us to rhyme those things, by the way. <laughs> when we are grateful, it changes our attitude. When we are, if you've ever been depressed or known anyone who's depressed, you know that they attune to all the negative things in their day. They go through their day, they picked out all the bad things that are going wrong. When we instead 
pick out all of the blessings and all the things we are grateful for. It changes how we face the day. It changes our outlook on life. I was talking to Pastor Sarah before this, and she was saying that she starts each day with a gratitude journal. Three things she's grateful for. It's not rocket science, but it changes how she approaches the day. I thought, that's, that's genius, right? Even if you don't have a journal, jot it down on a post-it, for goodness sake. Just put it down somewhere. It, it starts to create that contentment in us and ultimately leads to peace. Paul writes it this way, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he writes again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. How? Because you're thankful. Because you see it. You see all of the blessings that you have. Jealousy is the opposite of that. Jealousy is counting someone else's blessings instead of your own. That's when we notice everybody's blessings and we don't see how much good we have going on in our own lives. All of you, and even if you're going through a really hard time, have some amazing things happening in your life right now. You just have to notice them and make sure you're focused on them. Keep your eyes focused on them and you're gonna get through that hard time. Even if it's messy on the way, as we get through, as we move through this life, and as we're talking about, oh, focus on your blessings, we are not saying focus on yourself. That's not the message here. The message here is not focus on the me, circle the wagons. The message here is this. You were created for a purpose. Every single person in this room has a purpose on their life. An amazing plan that God has set forth. So this is not a everyone's okay, just be happy message. This is no, you are awesome. You are totally amazing. Bring it to the world, and the kingdom of God will grow as a result. That's today's message. We are the we. So we are here on this earth for a very brief period of time. Super short, but a breath, but a vapor. And so while we're here, God's saying, okay, look, I'm going to make it easy for you. You only have a couple purposes. One is love others really well. Two is love me so well that others want to love me too and you grow the kingdom of God. So that's why we're here, right? And how we each grow, it is going to look different. But that's our purpose. And if we just focus on my lane, we miss the bigger picture. When we focus on the me, like society tells us to, it's, it's a place, it's a scarcity mentality, really. Have you heard of a scarcity mentality? It's the belief that there's not enough. So I can't mentor you because then you might become as good as I am and you might overtake me. I can't share my resources because what if there's not enough left for me? I can't let you in and let you know my vulnerabilities because then you're going to think less of me and then you're going to judge me. And Right? So scarcity mentality, there's not enough to go around. So here it is. Here's my stuff. And I live in a place of just like God is a God of and, he's a God of abundance. And he's saying, no, there's enough. There's enough for all of you. Mentor that person and grow them up, and you'll still have your place. Give away those things that you have, and I promise I'll give you more. Right? That person needs you, and you're thinking, I don't have time. There's no time to sit and listen to that. And God's saying, make the time. 
I will double the time you need for those other things. God is a God of abundance. And we believe him because he's got it. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, who gave us those other scriptures, continues this way. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Meaning, all of us have something different to bring to the party. But all of us, it's the spirit working in us that helps us advance the kingdom. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. And he finishes this way. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What that means is all of our blessings are for the common good. All of our talents are to move the kingdom forward. I stand here and I'm speaking. But this morning would not happen without those guys back there in the sound room. Right? It would not happen. I can't even get this thing to stay on my ear. They actually band-aid it to my, the back of my head. That's, that's how it works behind the scenes. The worship guys, right, and gals, guys with a gender-neutral word, the worship people up here are awesome. They usher in the spirit for us. I don't know about you, but I had a cup of coffee before I came in. Someone made that coffee. Someone greeted us. All of us have different talents. And I could sit here and look at Marcus and be like, oh, I wish I could sing like that. (laughs) But you don't want me singing. You don't want it, right? His gift is for the kingdom, and mine is different, but it's equally valid. And I have to recognize, and you have to recognize how valuable these individual gifts are. We've been, many of us, in a culture or a family where we've heard feelings and words and uh, spoken and unspoken of, you're not good enough. You're not measuring up. You're falling short. You don't have what it takes. And God is saying, that's a lie. You've got what it takes because I've designed where you're going. You've got what it takes because I know your purpose. I gave it to you. You've got what it takes and you're good enough because I am in you and working through you at all times. We each have gifts. Paul continues in verse 12 and he says, Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, we were all Marcus, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed in the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted it to be. You are made just as he wanted you to be. And how do we combat jealousy? By knowing that that's true. By being content in those things. So if you're not sure about your own God-given gifts, we've got some resources for you. There's a personality. and Has anyone done like uh, spiritual gifts, Enneagram, any of that? Yeah, super helpful. Helpful for our mates to also know how to interact with us. 
uh, I have been told that that address doesn't work unless you do the pathway, slash pathway. So when you take a picture of it, write it down, just make sure you include pathway. Ask other people what they see in me. This weekend is a chance to sign up for life groups. Life groups are a great place for that because they're people who know you, people who see you. I've been in a life group for a long time, and we have been through births of babies. I have been in the delivery room, not giving birth myself, just there. Um, and I have been there for deaths of children, unfortunately, as well. We have been through triumph and tragedy, and these are my people, and they know me. And it's super hard to show up and to be vulnerable, but it is the most courageous thing you will do. Right? Brene Brown says, there is no courage without vulnerability, and that's so true. And so I show up, and these are the people who we eat more than we do anything else. We eat a lot, and uh, they'll say things like, have you forgiven him yet? And I'm like, oh yeah, my day was good, how was yours? Yep. Start on the surface, maybe. These are the people that go there with you. And so they speak into you, they know you, and they know who you are and your potential. So if you haven't signed up for a life group, make your way out there today. And then of course, ask your maker how he made you. He's your creator. He, Paul just told us, he put it in us, so he knows what's there. Ask him to reveal to you what your gifts are. And then if you have any sort of inkling, and you're thinking, mm, I might be good with kids, go volunteer. I am a very happy person. People like to see me. Go stand out front. If you're one of the guys that belong in the sound booth, one of the people that belong up here, whatever your gifting is, try it out. Stick your toe in the water and see how it goes. Right? We're the body. This is our deal. We're moving forward the kingdom of God together with our individual gifts. That's why we're here, to draw others to him. And then this week, I want to challenge you to intentionally choose to celebrate when others succeed. Yep, that doesn't mean stay neutral. <laughs> that means celebrate. So I was actually thinking about it when I was sitting back there, because I hate when I have to do it myself. And I was like, oh yeah, this was a hard one, because I know what makes me jealous. I know what riles me up, what I look for. And I'm like, oh, okay, how would I be celebrating when someone else got something great this week? In whatever area, it's your insecurity. So in my area of insecurity of vulnerability, in your area, what is it that you'd be doing? And think about it. If you really think about it, it's hard. Because like, when you first see their success, you might be like, Ugh. fear. Call it out as fear. Know what it is. It's fear. Fear is not of God. And so we say, okay, I don't choose that path. Can't stop this feeling, but I can stop what I do with it. So God, help me to celebrate this person. Shoot them a text. Say congratulations. Go above where you would go. So the question, of course, oh, before we go to the question, uh, when we're talking about the body, and I just want to spend a second on this because it's so super, super important. As we're celebrating, we also must be willing to suffer. So Paul's writing that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part's honored, every part rejoices. Rejoicing we're talking about is being hard, if they're parts of the body that we feel like they're getting ahead of us. But let's be honest that suffering is equally hard. It's really hard for people to sit with other people who are in pain. 
it's most people's first inclination to fix, come up with a solution, change, right? Alter it so they're not sad anymore. And so I would really encourage you, if you have people in your life who are struggling, just be with them. Just feel their sadness. You are not responsible for the solution or the fix, and you being there is part of the help. You're going to be tempted to say, it's going to be okay. You don't know that. You do know that God's got a plan, and it'll see, see them through. But you don't know what the journey's going to be. So just be there. Suffer with them and let them know they're not alone. And when they make it through, that's when we rejoice. We rejoice together because we are one body. But if we are spending this whole morning talking about celebrating, we have to make sure that we're hitting the opposite, that it's equally important to sit with others when they suffer. So here's that question I was alluding to. Whose success will you choose to celebrate this week? All of you just thought of your best friend. That doesn't count. You are not allowed to celebrate your best friend's success this week. When we were praying and we prayed for God to bring to mind the image of the person that we might be comparing ourselves to or jealous of or spinning out about or having problems when they advance, that's your girl, that's your guy. Right? Sorry, bad news. That's the one. The hard one, that's the one you're going to celebrate this week. So stand with me so that I can pray for us as we endeavor on this very difficult path. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are big enough for all of us to be successful. We thank you that you are great enough that you put gifts in each one of us. We thank you that you see us as individuals and yet you love us as a body. Help us to love the body as much as you do, God. Help us to know the importance of loving others well and bringing them to you. Help us each to know how talented you've made us so that we may use our gifts for your glory, God. Help everyone in this room this week know they've got something to offer. And in that confidence, they don't have to be jealous of what others have to offer, but in fact can rejoice with them. So God, we know we can't do it. On our own, we are useless, but with you, we are great. So Lord, we walk in that greatness. And we thank you so much. In your precious name, Amy. Amen. Let's give it up for Amy this morning.